0: Well, good evening to you all. It's good to be with you again. If you turn with me to Genesis 13, Genesis 13, and as you do that, let me bring you the warm greetings from uh, Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary and also the Heritage Reformed Church of Grand Rapids. Let's read Genesis 13. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him, into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, and silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called On the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if thou depart to the right hand, I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And the Lord said unto Abraham, after that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abraham removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Then we want to turn to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, just verses 8 through 10. Hebrews eleven, eight through ten. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. May God bless the reading of his sacred word to all of our hearts. Well, this morning, in our adult living class, family living class, after church, the topic was The Puritans on zeal. And one of the main theses of that talk was zeal is a white hot flame for the glory of God. That's really what the Puritans taught. They wanted to live wholly and solely for God. Now, I wonder tonight when we are called to examine our faith through the paradigm of Lot and Abram, if we too have a white-hot flame for God. Recently, I was doing some marital counseling, and I often ask couples when I do that, what, how would you rate your, your marriage? Scale of 1 to 10. And the husband said, three. And the wife said, three. And that's why they came to see me. Three, three is not very good. May I ask you tonight, how would you reach your faith? How would you reach your white-hot flame for God? Are you burning inside with a passion and a zeal for the glory of God? Or would you have to say, no, my faith is kind of mediocre. If I think of Jesus a couple times a day, that's probably pretty good. For the rest, I'm, well, I come to church faithfully, and I, I do the outward motions of religion faithfully, and I have, I have some heart for the Lord. But actually, yeah, I'm about a three. I've got a weak faith. See, God God doesn't like mediocre faith. God says, I would that you were hot or cold. In fact, he says to the church of Laodicea, if you're lukewarm, if you're just mediocre in your faith, I'll spit you out of my mouth. It's pretty strong language. God is not pleased with weak faith. Now it's one thing to have weak faith and to be on your way to heaven and weak faith will also get into heaven for oneself. But when you have weak faith you do little good in the earth. You're not living for the glory of God. There's no burning white hot flame for God in His kingdom. And you see really that in essence is what Genesis 13 and Hebrews 11, 8-10 are all about. They contrast for us. Two believers One with a white hot flame. One, may I say it this way, whose scale is nine or ten. And one who's three, two, maybe a one. The the former is Abram. The latter is Lot. So I want to look at that with you tonight under, under this theme. You and me. Weak faith or strong faith? We'll just read again verses 11a and 18. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And verse 18, Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar to the Lord. So my two thoughts are very simple. Lot's weak faith, Abram's strong faith. Well, these two men had a lot in common, don't you think? They're from the same race, spoke the same language, shared the same culture, belonged to the same family, involved in the same occupation, shepherds, traveled together to Canaan. In their travels, they both confessed their faith in the God of promise. They shared a common faith in the Lord God. They shared past experiences of God's leading and blessing. They both separated themselves from the idolatry of their homeland. They both abandoned friends and former lives. Neither was an Oripa who turned back. They both made a decision to cast their lot in with those who lived under the promises of God. They both heard the call, get thee out, from thy country, unto a land that I will show thee. Genesis 12.5 says, They both went forth into the land of Canaan. Into the land of Canaan they came. And God blessed them both abundantly in the land of Canaan. He blessed them outwardly with growing flocks and herds. He granted them the blessing of being separated from the Canaanites around them. They and their families were instructed in the ways of the Lord. And yet there was a difference, a huge contrast between them. I heard this morning walking into, ch- or this evening walking into church, that you had confession of faith this morning. You see, the question is not just for those who made confession, but for all of us what kind of confession of faith do we make? Do we make a confession like Lot? or like Abram. Despite all these things they had in common, they had many different things as well. I want to belabor this just a little bit and look at three or four different things. They had, first of all, really different hearts. Different hearts. Some of you, if you just knew about Lot from Genesis 13, might... Prick up your ears when I said Lot 2 was a believer because he doesn't look like much much like a believer in Genesis 13, does he? And yes, 2 Peter 2, 7 and 8 says he was a believer. Despite all his failings, he's called a righteous man with a righteous soul, distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men. The lawlessness around him tormented his soul. That's a good sign. But if it weren't for Second Peter, you wouldn't know from Genesis 13 hardly that Lot was a real believer. It would be far easier to preach Genesis 13 and say, well, Lot represents unbelievers and Abraham represents believers. But real life is often more nuanced, more difficult, more complex than the black and white ways we tend to view things. When we're told about Lot, we're told in Genesis 12 verse 4 that Lot went with Abram. In verse 5 we're told, Abram took Lot. Then in 13.1 and again in verse 5, we read Lot went with Abram. All along, you see, four times over, the idea is Abram was the leader, Lot was just tagging along. He's always with Abram. Abraham's always taking the initiative lot has what has been called a chameleon Christianity he has true faith but it's very weak a chameleon fits into its background it adopts the color of its surroundings with lots with Abraham he seems quite all right but when he was taken away from Abraham history The history of Genesis 13 shows us he's prone to wander far from God. And you see, pastoral work in the ministry often has that level of complexity to it. It's not just a matter of believers and unbelievers. Among unbelievers, there's some that have impressions and there's some that are just hardened. Among believers, there's some with strong faith and there's some with weak faith. And we need to know how to pastor them differently it's a dangerous sign you see to be a lot to continually need other stronger believers to keep us on the straight and narrow so that's why I ask you tonight what kind of faith do you have what kind of confession of faith did you make this morning do you have only an environmental faith where your friends perhaps are Christians and well you're brought up in Christian surroundings You've you've gone with the flow of positive peer pressure. Perhaps you you do have true faith in Christ, but would you be a consistent Christian if all these props were taken away? If you were in a big city all by yourself? If God took you out of your environment? And you'd be free to do whatever you wanted to do? What would your life be like? Well, we see warning signs here with Lot that... He didn't have the heart of Abraham. He didn't have the kind of heart that would say, here I stand, God help me. They differed in heart. But second, they also differed in hands. In hands. Abraham's hands were open. Lot's hands were closed. Abraham was generous. Lot was greedy. Selfish. A grasping man. You remember the story we just read. They're prospering. Their sheep and cattle are multiplying. There isn't enough pasture for all their flocks. The herdmen start having arguments. Abram is the leader, the older man, the one who deserves respect. If they're going to separate, it's obvious. It's his choice. First, where to go. That was in line with the culture of that day. But he says to Lot, you go ahead and choose. The younger man. Lot owed almost everything to Abram. And Lot doesn't even say to Abraham, no, no, no. Uncle Abraham, you you deserve the right to choose. You're the older man. I respect you. But no. Lot's a man of peace. I mean, Abraham's a man of peace. He's a man who is free. He trusts his God. God is his father. His hands are open. He doesn't need to worry about where he's going. For God will be with him. That's strong faith. Abraham went out, Hebrews 11 says. Not knowing whether he was going, but he just obeyed. Trusting the Lord that he would make all things well. That's strong faith. Lot should have said, Abraham, you're my leader. I'll follow your guidance. But no, he accepts Abraham's invitation right away. He reveals he's concerned most about himself. Abraham's feelings, location, future, doesn't concern lot lot is most concerned about himself he's selfish he doesn't merely possess but he's possessed by his possessions And you see weak faith is like that it it doesn't look to Christ habitually regularly it's a taker rather than a giver it's the antithesis of real and vital and robust Christianity God's heart is a giving heart. God so loved the world that He he gave His only begotten Son. Weak faith isn't a giver like that. So let me ask you this question, and I ask myself, those around us, our our spouse, our our parents, our, our children, our friends, our best friends, Do they think of us as givers or do they view us as graspers? Would we be the kind of person like Lot that would be grasping the good ground for ourselves? See, they had different hearts, they had different hands. But preeminently in this chapter, we see they had different eyes, different eyes, they saw differently. They had come to a crossroad in their lives. Which way should they go? How should they know? In verse 9, it appears that Abram takes Lot to a hilltop. And they look over the land. And he says, Is not the whole land before thee? And we're told that when Lot, verse 10, lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, even as the garden of the Lord, that is the garden of Eden, paradise, That Lot wanted that land. See, Lot was looking for a bit of paradise on earth. Lot was looking with natural eyes. Where where would he make the most money? Where would he prosper the most materially? Where would life be the easiest, the most pleasurable? And then there's something ominous here. Very ominous. We're told that that land was surrounded by people who were wicked exceedingly in Sodom, because it was borderline with Sodom. When you think about moving somewhere, first thing that should pop into your mind if you have strong faith, is there a solid church there where my soul can prosper? Is there good fellowship with the people of God there? Or am I just going because it's a business promotion? Weak faith just goes for my benefits. Lot saw money. Dollar signs were printed on his corneas. He saw the good land, the rich harvest, the profit, the cash. Abraham lifted up his eyes, the Bible also says. But he saw other things. He saw that he and Lot were brothers. He saw that they shouldn't be fighting. He saw that the Canaanite was in the land. And they shouldn't demean the Lord's reputation before the heathen by quarreling. He saw the promises of God. God's graciousness and kindness. One believer saw the here and now. The prophet. The potential. The material. The other saw the honor. The promises. The blessing of God. And they chose according to what they saw. See, here's the point. If you If you seldom look up to heaven, seldom look up to the eternal, but instead your eyes become sharp and keen for the profit, advantage, and pleasures of the wicked and the world, you only see the material and the worldly. And you'll be heading in the wrong direction. You'll be heading towards Sodom. And what a problem that can be in our lives. Someone put it this way, believers who are idealists in the 20s and materialists by the 40s Are not far from being idolaters in their 60s Jesus put it this way for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross he had eternal eyes do you have eternal eyes are you living this life in the light of eternity do you see heavenly realities Are you among the robust in faith who think more about eternity than time? Or are you like Lot? If Lot lived today, perhaps he'd spend more time preparing for a two-week vacation to Florida than he would for a never-ending eternity. He's backsliding already before he even gets on the land. Verse 11 says, Lot chose for himself Chose for himself. Isn't that interesting? He chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and he journeyed east. He chose by himself, he chose for himself, without prayer. And he gave Abraham the leftovers. Different hearts, different hands, different eyes, and finally, they had different destinies. I wonder how Abraham felt when he walked away obviously seeing that lot got the best land how would you feel did he feel lonely did he feel spurned did he feel the rudeness of lot perhaps he was vulnerable a bit hurt there goes young lot whom he brought all this way whom he shepherded all this way going to the good ground leaving me the leftovers Am I going to be stuck on these empty, barren hills? Is that how Abram was thinking? Have I been a fool? Giving Lot his first choice? Lot's taking advantage of me? You don't read one word of that, do you? In Genesis 13. Not a word. Instead, what happens? Look at verse 14. Immediately, as Lot goes away, the Lord said unto Abraham, after that lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which thou seest to thee, I will give it to thy seed forever, and I'll make thy seed as the dust of the earth. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. You see, when faith is robust and trust is in God, God will take care. Of his people. When we choose God's way, God will bless us. When we take the heavenly vision and the open hand and the heart devoted to God, when we lay ourselves on the line and suffer loss for Christ, God comes and blesses. Not always materially, but He comes and blesses. Now that is what Jesus experienced himself, isn't it? He made himself of no reputation and took the form of a servant. He became obedient to death. Wherefore God highly exalted him and given, gave him the name above every name. God raises up the humble. Robust faith gets rewarded by divine benediction. And what a difference there is in their future. Lot, the clever man, the shrewd operator, the selfish chooser. What happens to him? Well, if you could have stopped Lot on his way to the outskirts of Sodom and asked him, is this really a wise choice, Lot, that you just made? Are you doing the proper thing? Is this the right way? Is this consistent with your confession of faith, with your call to walk as a separate people? I suppose Lot would have responded, Well, what's wrong with it? I'm not going to live in Sodom. My my tent will be turned towards Sodom, but I'm just, I'm going to live on the outskirts here and uh, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be strong in faith. Instead of asking what's right with it, he asked, No doubt, what's wrong with it? Though it's not in Canaan, it's only just over the border. I'm not in Sodom, you know. I'll, I'll pitch my tent just outside the city. Uh, compromising a little bit isn't so bad. Well, you know the sad results from Lot's choice. It wasn't long before he was sliding down the slippery slope of sin, isn't that true? Much like Eve, who first saw then chose, then ate, so Lot lifted up his eyes, then chose, then pitched his tent, and from there it was a downward spiral. The story is incredible. First we see him living with his tent towards Sodom. Then in 1412, he's living in Sodom. How that happened, we're not told. Though his soul is vexed, Peter says, in Sodom, he apparently failed to testify to his family and neighbors, as he should have, Instead of living as a stranger and pilgrim, influencing the Sodomites, they influence him. Soon he himself and his children marry Sodomites. And then by chapter 19, he's sitting in the gate of the city on Sodom's town council. And next he shows Sodomite thinking when he offers two of his daughters to be abused by the crowd of men surrounding his house. And then he loses his married children to Sodom. And finally he lingers and needs to be literally pulled out of Sodom by the angels. On the way to Zoar, he loses his wife whose heart could not leave Sodom. Now if you had told Lot at the beginning, Lot, when you chose that green plush land, the end result is going to be a weak confession of faith and poor choice after poor choice after poor choice so that you will, you will finally lose all your goods. You'll come to live in a cave and you're going to commit drunken incest with your own two youngest daughters. He would have been shocked and repulsed and said, never me. But each step in that downward spiral of lot's life can be traced back to his weak compromising confession of faith and to his initial choice of taking a wrong path Oh, the fatal results of compromise and bad choices lot made a mess of his life yes he squeaked by into heaven in the blood of christ but he made choices without consulting god or his god-fearing uncle that brought him into great trouble much unhappiness in this life he failed to really think through the spiritual consequences of his choice young people many of you are at a crossroads crossroads not only in making perhaps confession of faith in this church but a crossroads in all kinds of decisions in your life who you will marry what college you will attend count the costs. count the dangers Make your choices out of a robust sense of faith. Not a weak faith. Not a compromising faith. Not a a faith that, that doesn't look toward the substitutionary blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. A faith that waits on the promises. That builds off of God and His truth. That's what you need. So where are you at right now? How will you face these choices? Will you choose as Lot? Will a weak, floundering confession of faith allow you to let materialism, worldly ease, worldly pleasure, in short, this world's paradise, in the dr- be in the driver's seat in your life? Will you live out of God's promises in Jesus Christ? Or will you live by what you think is good? Will you choose the borderline path? The one that takes you just or just over The border of what is proper? Will your attitude be what's wrong with it? Will you decide to flirt with sin on the computer, perhaps, or in real life, as you name the name of Christ? Or will you be jealous for your own soul? Will you choose what is best for your own soul? Will you place yourself in borderline places and use borderline language and associate with borderline people and say, I'm only going to pitch my tent toward these things. I'm not going to live in them. Stop being worried about me. Will you choose to play with the fire of temptation and sin and believe you'll not be burned? Will you be like a lot? Will you say that? Don't worry about me. I'll never go as far as Lot. Well, that's what Lot would have said. That's what Lot would have said. His weak confession of faith meant that worldly compromise and flirtation with sin would lead him into the quicksand from which he could not extract himself. You see, the real question is not how far can I go towards sin and not sin. The real question ought to be, how far can I stay away from sin? Perhaps you heard a story of a hermit on the top of a mountain. He um, was related to a little girl in the valley, and the girl's parents died. And in the will, in their will, they left word that the girl should go live with the hermit on the mountain. But the hermit didn't have a car, didn't know how to get the girl down into the valley every day for school, so he put an ad in the local newspaper, and there were three applicants, and he asked them, how close will you come to the edge as you're going down the windy road down the mountain? How close can you come to the edge of the road without slipping off into the valley? Well, the first guy said he could come within a foot. The second guy said he was such an expert driver, he could come within six inches. The third guy said, I'm not sure, sir, because I'll be hugging the other side of the road. Well, you know who got the job? The third guy, of course. You see, when you have robust faith, when you have robust faith, you want to you flee sin. You hate sin. You want to live for Christ. You want to love Him fully. You want to stay as far away from sin as possible. You want to covet the holy, childlike fear of God. You want to avoid even the very appearance of evil. You want to pray without ceasing. You want to live a godly life. What a difference in the destinies of Lot and Abram. Someone summarized it this way Lot walked in the limits of his own choosing. Abraham walked in the length and the breadth of God's giving. I thought he'd have a bigger, better life with the green, plush land, but God expanded Abraham's life. You see, Satan's trick is always to tell us that to live a robust life of faith, a life laser-beamed on God and His glory, is a narrow kind of life, but it's not. It's an expansive life. It's a glorious life. It's this world's life. It's the plush green of this world that is really the narrow life, the stifling life, the limited life. When I was a young man, the day I left uh, active duty of Army Reserves, my boss came to me and said, well, I hope you make it in the big bad world out there. And I said, uh, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. He said, You know, it is a bad world out there. I said, Yes, sir, but I, I have my God. And I said to him, This God is bigger than this world. This God is the God of the universe. He can help me. I want to lean on Him. I want to go forward in His strength. And you see, when you're trusting God, when God's at the center of everything, though you'll have bumps in the road, though you'll have sorrows, though you have trials, though you also stumble, Many times, though you grieve over indwelling sin, and the closer you are to God, the more you will grieve over indwelling sin. Still your faith will be focused on God. Seeking first the kingdom of God, young people, and all other things shall be added unto you. Don't worry about how much you'll acquire. You'll have everything you need. God will take care of you. But laser beam yourself and God Laser beam yourself on God. Choose for yourself, and you will limit yourself and impoverish yourself, and you'll seek your own kingdom first, and you'll lose what you even thought you had. Choose to run your own life, and you'll spoil your own life. But let God make the choices. Let God be your first choice. Your exclusive choice. You'll find blessing and freedom in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. In Christ, Abraham lost nothing. But he gained everything. Even though he didn't know it would be that way when he started. Alexander McLaren writes, the sure way to lose the world as well as your own soul is to make the world your first object. Walk the walk of faith. You know, wherever Abraham went, he built an altar and worshipped the Lord and declared to all the neighbors, all the people around, I'm a servant of the Lord God. You never read about one altar building episode in the life of Lot. Abram's faith is robust. Lot's faith is weak. So what makes Abram's faith so, so robust? Well, by the Spirit's grace, you see, he, he makes right choices. He has a strong confession. He lives by it. And actually, I just want to point out to you very briefly now, seven things, seven principles that make Abram's faith so much stronger, so much more robust than Lot's. Number one, Abram chose by faith and obedience. Hebrews 11, verse 8, By faith, Abram, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for inheritance, obeyed. Obeyed. He placed God, you see, above circumstances. By grace, he looked higher than Lot. Lot looked to natural circumstances. Abraham looked to the God of circumstances. There's a world of difference between those two. Number two, Abraham chose by God's word and God's command. He was always where God wanted him to be. Well, he floundered a couple of times. But the general trajectory of his life was he was where God told him to be. And you know that is worth, May I say this to you too, young people, as you go forward into life, that is worth more than anything else you can possibly imagine. If you know that you are where God wants you to be, doing what God wants you to do, you can focus on living fully to His glory. The old Puritans used to say, don't make a move until you're sure it's of God. Stay where you are until you're sure it's of God. To be where God wants you to be is a staple mark of strong faith. 3. He chose by God's promise. Hebrews 11.9 By faith He sojourned in the land of promise. Not in the borders. In the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with Him, of the same promise. He lived out of the promise. He walked through the land of promise. He lived out of the womb of the promises of God. That's the way to live. And what are the promises of God? They're Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. All the promises of God are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. The Puritans used to say the gospel, promises of God, and Jesus. Those three are really synonyms. The gospel is Jesus. The promises of God is Jesus. Jesus is the promises. Jesus is the gospel. Abraham lived out of that. He lived out of the promise of the coming Messiah he lived by Christ it's the only way to live it's the only way faith can stay strong if you live out of yourself or you live out of your own faith or you live out of anything you can produce or any experience you've ever had your faith will grow weak you need to live out of the promise of the gospel You need to live out of the heart of God. You need to live out of the blood of Jesus. You need to live out of the intercessions of Him who sits at the right hand of the Father. And number four, and I love this one, He chose by foundation. He chose by foundation. Verse 10 of Hebrews 11, For He looked for a city which hath foundations. Foundations? Are very important foundation of a structure is the most important part of the structure now my dad was a carpenter for a contractor for i guess 30 to 40 years when he was about 70 he told me something i never forgot as kids we used to see people come over especially at night we lived in a modest very modest home my dad wasn't concerned about big house or anything like that, so there was no room for the people to go, so they were always sitting, but the plans were always unfurled on, on the kitchen table, and we kids just got used to that. People were over, and my dad was going over the plans. They were talking about the roof and the color of the shingles and, and, and the windows and what they'd be like and floor plan. But my dad said to me when he was 70 years old, he said, how many people do you think have asked me throughout all these decades, Mr. Beakey, what kind of a foundation will you build under this house? One. I said, really, Dad? He said, really? No one ever asked me about the foundation. I've had people care deeply about the color of the front door. I had one man, he said, even want me to sink the living room another six inches because he wanted a, a step out of the living room in every direction. People have particular ideas, expensive ideas, and they want their house a certain way, but no one cares about the foundation. Don't live that way. You care about the foundation of your life. And you make sure that that foundation is Jesus Christ and Him crucified and Jesus Christ and Him exalted. It's the only way to have a robust faith and to live laser beam for the glory of God. Number five. It shows by God-centeredness. Look at the end of verse 10 of Hebrews 11. He looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He just wanted God to be everything in his life. That's the way to live. To be in the will of God. To be in the circle of God. To, to have God be the foundation. To have God be the builder. To have God be the maker. To have God be the continuer. To have God be the God of providence. The God of salvation. Have God be everything in your life. The triune God. From the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Choose God's centeredness That means you've got to be in the Word of God. To learn about God. To know Him better. To love Him more. To be grounded more firmly in Him. To let Him rule and reign over everything in your life. To let Jesus Christ meet all your needs as prophet to teach you, as priest to sacrifice for you and pray for you, as king to rule and guide you whose builder and maker is God. Is that how you're living right now? Is God at the center of all your plans? Center of all that you're doing? Is He the foundation? And six, Abraham chose where he could best worship God. Verse 18 of Genesis 13. Mamre, which is in Hebron. Abraham went there and built there an altar to the Lord. Do you know that Mamre means plenty or fatness? And fatness in those days was, was a good word. It just meant to be robust. And, and Hebron means communion. You see there he worshiped God and lived in Hebron or in communion with God in memory or in plenty spiritually yes physically too but spiritually preeminently where he built an altar to the Lord and worshiped the Lord Worship is the most important thing you'll ever do in your life Worship is the purpose for why you were put here in this world It's critical that you worship God corporately, but privately and domestically in a way that brings Him glory, that shows that your faith is robust. Worship ought to be the greatest joy of your life. It is of those who have robust faith. Your favorite place in the whole world to be ought to be in, in this house of prayer, worshiping God. And seventhly, Abram chose in light of eternity. It chose a city that would not crumble, Hebrews 11:10. Yes, that's the way to live. The beauty of that choice with eternity at the center of our focal point as we live is that nothing will deteriorate in eternity. There'll be no decay in the heavenly city. No repair is needed. No sin will enter in. All good will be walled in. All evil will be walled out. And we'll be married to Jesus forever in spiritual, intimate communion that will go beyond, even beyond the intimate communion between a man and his wife in this world. Oh, to live for eternity is to long for the day when Jesus will come again on the clouds. And I'll get to be with Him forever. Are you longing for Jesus? Charles Spurgeon the great 19th century preacher said every morning you ought to go to the east side of your home and lift up your curtains or lift up your shade and and look out and say oh he's not coming yet another day I gotta wait another day wait a woman who worked for us for many years in our library in the seminary every year I would wish her a happy birthday on her birthday and you know what you know how the world you know how the weak Christian responds Oh, I wish I were younger. Don't remind me again. She was in her 60s and moving, moving to retirement. And every year I'd say, happy birthday to her. And every year she'd give me the same answer. One year closer. One year closer to being with Jesus. That's robust faith. John Calvin said, He who does not hanker for the second coming of Christ has made little progress in the Christian life. Well, what a difference, what a difference between Lot and Abram. Both believers, but which one are you? Or maybe you're in between. Where's Where's your tent pitched? Where's the direction of your life going? Are you building your altars, worshiping God as a spiritual pilgrim Pilgrim in the Hebron of this world, in gracious communion with the Lord, are you dwelling in the plains of memory, of spiritual fatness and joy in God, where the plenty of God consumes you and moves you to delight and rejoice in God? Are are you getting your greatest joy in life from God? Does God have His grip on you? Or is your tent pitched toward Sodom? And you find yourself more on the internet, more on the Facebook, more on whatever than you are in the Word of God. You find your richest treasures in the things of this world which are paltry, which are trivial, which won't abide, which don't have foundations, which will crumble and deteriorate. Are you, are you selling your soul for the inferior pearls of this world, or are you selling all the inferior pearls of this world to find the pearl of great price. Well, let me close by just applying this to you from your different perspectives because in front of me right now, I'm sure there's people from various perspectives. My friend, first of all, if you're still choosing Sodom and you don't know the Lord at all and you really are unsaved, I I call upon you in love for your own soul stop going in the direction you're going seek and knock and beg the lord to stop you and turn you turn back to god with your back to god your life will never prosper don't trust your natural eye as lot did but seek for a spiritual commitment and spiritual vision And ask the Lord, if your heart is inclined to the things of this world, go against me, Lord. Give me a new heart. Turn me around. Let me know that salvation is of Thee and of Thee alone. Secondly, if the Lord has worked in you and is continuing to work Abraham's good choice in you, and you cannot deny that you love Christ and hate sin and pursue holiness, and that your heart's choice is to live in Canaan and to flee from Sodom. Ask God to deepen that work in you, that the fruits of true conversion may become increasingly more robust in your life, that you may bring more and more glory to His name and to His kingdom, that that kingdom may come in you and through you, and that people would be able to say to you and see in you, I can see you've been with Jesus. It's the best compliment you can ever get from someone. I see Jesus in you. Number three, if you feel torn asunder by the world's temptations and really don't know if you belong to God or to Satan, don't go on just as you are, but say, Lord, if, if thou hast savingly begun in my life, confirm it and strengthen me. And if not, please begin. Don't let me postpone one more day the most important need in my life. Help me to repent of my sins and to believe in Christ alone and surrender my life unconditionally to the Lord Jesus Christ and to get foundations under the building of my life. And finally, number four, if your life is out of focus and you're like Lot, you've begun to live a seemingly perpetual, backsliding life, a life of double-mindedness in which you're trying to serve two masters you too must repent of your ways immediately. Have you ever bought a, have you ever bought a cheap pair of binoculars and, and you look through them and it's like you can't get the two lenses to focus? You know, you know that feeling? Just, it's like overlap. And if you're bird watching, for example, you can hardly focus on the bird because it's like there's two birds in there and it's very discombobulating. And you see, that's Lot's problem. He saw double. One image was the promise of God. The other image was the promise this world offered him. And he was trying in vain to bring these two images together. He lost his spiritual mindedness when he tried to live for two masters. Don't do that! James says a double-minded man whose focus is not really focused is unstable in all his ways. You see, God would, God would say to you tonight, Lot, I have some, somewhat against you. You've left your first love. Remember from where you fall. Repent. Retrace your steps. Do the works you did at the first. So no matter who you are, lift up your eyes. Flee Sodom. And come and dwell in the plains of Mamre in Hebron. And build an altar an altar of thanksgiving to God. Amen. Let's pray. Great God of heaven, oh, help us to be sold out, to be white burning flames for Thee and for Thy glory. For Lord, one of two things are true, either Thou art the living God, or the gods of this world are God. And we know, Lord, the latter is not true. And so since Thou art the living God, Thou art worth everything. Thou art our Creator, our Provider, our Redeemer. We owe our all to Thee. And on the day of judgment, Lord, we will have to give an account to Thee of what we've done with our eyes, with our hands, with our feet, with our soul, with our mind, with our conscience, with our memory, with our will, with with every part of us. And I pray, O God, I pray, O God, that on that day, we will be able to say, We thank you, Lord Jesus, for conquering me and showing me my sin and emptying me of my righteousness and bringing me to thy righteousness and finding my life in thee in thy blood. And here is the blood passport I need the blood of Jesus to enter into glory. Oh God, help us not to just get through this world with weak faith. But strong faith. Help us to be Abraham's and not Lot's. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing now, my hope is built on nothing less, Trinity Hymnal five two one.